Welcome to this episode of Ms. Law Explains Things. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Ms. Law Explains Things. So, I hope that everybody's been having an exciting time delving much deeper, I think, into uh, what trade is, why we trade, no, and why we don't trade, actually. I think maybe what we've actually been hearing more recently in the news, you know, we've been reading maybe some articles is that actually there's been this idea of a trade war. So what on earth is a trade war and what is it good for? That's what we're going to be looking at today. Right, so I think you might have heard, I think, about the very tense uh, economic relations, and political relations to some extent, uh, of the US and China. So, you know, what on earth is the whole point of having a trade war? Doesn't it sound bad? Like, isn't trade good? That's what we've actually kind of learned in, in, in class, right? We've learned that, you know, it allows us to consume outside of, you know, what we're able to produce domestically. It able, allows us to uh, consume goods at a lower price and there's a larger variety. And uh, basically, everything sounds really good. But, you know, why on earth are people actually kind of, like, interested in a trade war? And that is actually the, the main motivation for a lot of these things. So, just kind of going into the article. Uh, I think Donald Trump's campaign was actually claiming that, you know, the trade war with China... Uh, was important because his policy was to bring back manufacturing jobs, which basically meant he was trying to reverse the large-scale structural unemployment uh, in the U.S. But is that really the way forward, given that the U.S. might have lost its comparative advantage in manufacturing? So comparative advantage basically is the idea that, you know, uh, this country, let's say China, is able to produce certain types of goods at a comparatively lower cost compared to the other country. And if that is the case, doesn't it make sense for China to be the one to produce those goods and the U.S. to buy those goods from China? That is the whole theory of uh, Ricardo, by the way, David Ricardo's economist that came out of this theory of comparative advantage. If you're able to produce it at lower up costs, then you should be the one who produces it, and therefore you should be the one who kind of exchanges these goods and services for other countries, and you should be the one who exports it. However, this entire theory of comparative advantage has been turned on its head. Because the idea of a trade war is that, no, even if I don't have a competitive advantage, I still want uh, people, for example, to be able to work in these industries in my country. So I need to kind of prop it up, and uh, I need to kind of make sure that the imports that are coming in are not comparatively cheaper. If not, all of the people in my country want to buy those imports instead, right? So because of that, I think we also know that um, free trade uh, has been blamed uh, by the US in, in 2016, for destroying millions of uh, American manufacturing jobs and in 2020 it could be about the merits of the trade wars. So Donald Trump decided to launch a trade war and renegotiate the North American Free Trade Agreement which is actually quite an important agreement uh, that is signed between countries. And his campaign claimed that the war was a a big success. Uh, Unfortunately on the other side the Democrats have said that they have lost the trade war because uh, during uh, Mr. Trump's presidency, uh, farmers were bankrupted and there was a loss of like 300,000 manufacturing jobs. So there's a lot of information that's coming out. It's kind of conflicting, right? So kind of like looking at all of this, like the economy's question is, who's right? Is there anyone who is right actually here? And as an economist, as the, the writer suggests, who researches international economic policy, um, the impulse to rethink trade policy was actually quite understandable because he came from this idea that free trade hurt particular groups of people like American workers. So it stands to reason that putting up the barriers to trade, even being willing to go to war, might protect these workers to some extent. Because now you're actually cutting out the cheaper imports and basically you're giving um, 
your own domestic production sort of an advantage, right? Or like less, comp- you're lessening the competition. When you actually lessen the competition, you're trying to give them more space to be able to kind of get up and running again, right? Maybe they lost the competitive advantage a long time ago, but does it mean that they can't rediscover it? Well, that remains to be seen. Unfortunately, we realize that, you know, engaging in such a trade war can backfire, just like any other war. And some of free trade's losers says that, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be negatively affected. So as I was saying, this article talks about the economic theory, by the way, that's the theory of CA, comparative advantage, tells us that free trade means a greater availability of cheaper goods because everything will be produced where it can be made least expensively. It sounds like a great deal for consumers, right? And exporting industries like agriculture that find more buyers for the products. But it's a raw deal for manufacturing workers because factories move to countries like Mexico and China with much lower labor costs. And that's what happened after the North American Free Trade Agreement became law in China, and China joined the World Trade uh, Organization in 2001. In each case, manufacturing workers were among the biggest losers as employment plunged from just under 18 million to a little over 14 million in 2004. As a result, a lot of politicians have become more cautious about supporting free trade deals because it results in widespread unemployment. And the important thing is that they actually come from this decision of unemployment because it affects a lot of people, and people feel very strongly about it because that's your livelihood at stake. So a little over two decades later, when the free trade bill came up to vote, uh, Mr. Biden and nearly every Democrat voted no, which was kind of interesting. And although Mr. Biden's administration signed the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which had created the world's largest free trade zone, opposition amongst leading Democrats as well as Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump actually kind of like uh, put it into question. So the opposition to trade deals was just one of a few issues, because mostly. Uh, at a time when most of these leaders were staunch supporters of free trade, his promise to bring back manufacturing jobs was actually the thing that actually allowed him to um, win the election. And a growing number of trade voters began to see trade as bad, shaping perceptions. As a president, he went through on his pledge and he imposed lots of tariffs, which basically is he's taxing imports on a range of Chinese products. A list that now totals US $550 billion worth. For example, aluminum and steel imports, and that's where the trade war began. But Mr. Trump's trade wars have not solved the offshoring problem that they were designed to fix. He said that they were good and easy to win, but it seems to be based on the assumption that America's trading partners would not retaliate, and he was wrong. We already learned in free trade and protectionism, the other the other kind of the other side of free trade is protectionism, which is to protect your domestic industries by sheltering them from foreign competition through the imposition of trade barriers. And because of that, right, you know that once people know that you are imposing tariffs on them, they will respond in 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 response, basically, to what you're doing, and that's called tit for tat. So China has retaliated repeatedly by placing tariffs on, I think, like US $185 billion of US exports, most notably agricultural products. So the US soybean farmers saw their largest market dry up, and unfortunately, the Trump administration had to come in to offset some of their losses. So does it make sense to kind of go through a trade war and then kind of result retaliation and then after that you still have to kind of like address the negative issues that come up? We don't really know. And all told, more than one third of farm income will come from government subsidies in 2020. And my question to you is, is that sustainable? You think one third of farm income coming from government subsidies is sustainable in the long run? Where is this government subsidies coming from? Taxpayers, obviously. And when the Trump administration planned to impose steel tariffs on, my goodness, even Canada, uh, America's northern neighbor vowed retaliation, which would have further hurt U.S. exporters. So if you're kind of launching a trade war on all of your trading partners, inevitably somebody is going to start hitting back at you. And that's a problem with trade wars. 
It's intended to protect a country's own workers, but it winds up doing a lot of self-inflicted damage because retaliatory tariffs drive up the cost of exports, hurting businesses and workers at home as well as abroad. At the same time, I think the policy seemed to have lost sight of its original enemy, which is actually the offshoring of American jobs, which still continued to grow. So the 2017 tax cut, for example, actually made offshoring more profitable and attractive, making it even harder to achieve the primary goal of the trade war. Trade wars will pay off only if they have a clear vision and they lead to meaningful changes in how everyone does business, but it hasn't really happened. So, unfortunately, you know, they've actually come to like a truce, uh, fortunately, maybe not unfortunately, both of sides, the US and China, have agreed to reduce tariffs, and China say it will buy a lot more American products, especially sale beans. So while it may make up for some of the damage caused by the trade war, such as by aiding specific industries like the soybean farmers, it will also make offshoring easier by making it more advantageous and profitable for American companies to transfer operations to China. That's because China also agreed to stop requiring foreign companies that seek to do business within its borders to transfer technology to domestic partners. So offshoring is still going to continue. And one notable exception to all of this is the US-Mexico-Canada agreement. Right, so which is a replacement for NAFTA. The deal is to prevent more offshoring to Mexico okay, because of the bipartisan support for labour and environmental provisions that raise the minimum Mexican automaker wages. This points to probably one of the best ways to actually stop manufacturing or offshoring, negotiate trade agreements that set higher labour and environmental standards for all signatories. This not only helps workers and communities in other countries get better treatment, but also makes the US worker more competitive by raising the cost of doing business there. This also makes American companies less likely to move operations overseas. Therefore, I think the entire evidence suggests that the best way to limit offshoring is through negotiation and cooperation and not war. So, the whole premise of trade war is actually to kind of reverse structural unemployment, but there seems to be a better way forward in the terms of negotiation and cooperation. I hope that you can kind of review this article one more time or listen to this again to kind of review the arguments for and against free trade and protectionism and make a decision for yourself. Is a trade war necessarily good or can any good actually really come out of it? Thank you and I'll see you in the next episode.